So immediately after, we're going to, what time do you just like right after church or right after church? So, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm tired of waiting in restaurants. Amen. So right after church, we'll be doing that. God bless you. We want to get the word of the Lord this morning and uh, just looking forward to, I have been thinking about this for some time. I may have preached this same title before I think I have. But I want to preach it in a, in a little different light, a little different context than what I have before. Um, if you go with me to the book of Matthew, I want to start there with a, a little setting of Scripture. The uh, 26th chapter and the 69th verse. 26th chapter and the 69th verse. And Peter sat outside in the court. And one girl came near to him, saying, And you were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied before all, saying, I do not know what you say. And going out into the porch, another saw him and said to those there, And this one was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, coming near, those standing by said to Peter, Truly, you also are of them, for even your speech makes you known. And then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. We go over to Acts, the fourth chapter, the 13th verse. But seeing the boldness of Peter and John, and having perceived that they are untaught and uneducated men, they marveled. And they recognized them that they were with Jesus. Yeah. I want to talk about that this morning. I'm with Him. I'm with Him. Lord, and now I pray through all the study, the prayer over this, that you would just touch our hearts through it, Lord. Oh, most of us have been to church hundreds and hundreds of times. We've heard thousands of messages. But, Lord, we ask you this morning. This is, this is a new day and a new time and a fresh day. We ask you this morning, do something, do something with your word in our heart this morning, we pray. Lord, that you would minister. God, that you would just draw us close to you, that you would open our eyes to understand. Even you more clearly than ever before, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I've been teaching about the rabbi. Uh, it's become very, very close to me in this last couple of months. The relationship 
of God and us. In this dimension of him being the rabbi and us being the disciples, um, servants to him, just begin to see some things in a little bit different light and have been trying to preach them again this morning. To be with Jesus. Peter, I like preaching about Peter because he has struggles with the flesh. And I know there isn't anybody else in here but me that, that struggles with the flesh. But I like to preach about him because the flesh is strong, right? The flesh needs to be weak and the spirit strong. But being with Jesus, I think it meant much more in this setting than just an occasional association or friendship. And then another one said, we saw you, you were with Jesus. I don't think we're talking about just a friendship here. I think they're identifying those who weren't just friends, not around just where Jesus was. Because there was a lot of people that were in his meetings, a lot of folks that he touched, he healed. But they don't accuse them of being with him. But with Peter, and Peter's kind of the spokesman. You know this about him. He, he opens his mouth even when he shouldn't, but he at least... Uh, is trying to say the right things, but he becomes this spokesman. And so I'm sure that they've seen him at times uh, bleeding out. In fact, you know that Jesus sent his disciples town to town, two by two. They were exposed and people knew who they were. They were seen. And so Peter um, when they say about him, you were with Jesus, it isn't just that he was a friend or at his meetings, but those of his disciples that followed him. And Peter could not have done anything worse than to deny that he knows his rabbi. That's a rough one. But out of fear, and I think we've done it on small level. I mean, at times we have said things or done things that brought us to tears. But Peter, I don't think he could have done anything worse for his own life. What he did in himself, he excommunicated himself from the Lord and from his brethren. That he doesn't even know who this rabbi Jesus is. They've got him arrested. They're trying him. And Peter sees that this isn't going well at all. And even though he wants to be there and see what happens, he doesn't want to identify with being with the rabbi Jesus or his disciples. And so the scripture said, Jesus said, the, the shepherd is smitten and the flock is scattered, the sheep no one standing with him. But Peter yet wants to see, but he is still weak. 
in his heart. He's weak in his faith. Um, he has not been born again. Jesus said when you come through the regeneration, if you look at that word, King James says regeneration, but really the word is born again. When Peter, when you are born again, well, Peter is following him with the disciples, but they are not born again. They love the Lord. They're walking with Him. They are part of Him. But there's going to come a time when Peter is birthed into the kingdom of God, which he is not at this point. His failures now are going to be a crushing blow to his life. See, he didn't only fail just with one of the brethren or something even morally. Reminded of David who failed utterly morally and in fact uh, put his friend to death. But David, his sin, as he wept before God and, and Peter does the same thing, David realized, God, I have sinned against you and and against you only, Lord, I have. And will you restore me? Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Restore my soul, dear Lord. And, and I can see Peter out there crying and weeping. It said he went out and wept bitterly. He went out, I mean, have you wept bitterly? Have you ever wept that it just was wringing you out? Everything that Peter had hoped in, now he denied he even knew. He's wondering now if the Lord will even take him back. His heart is broken. One of the uh, Gospels says, and Jesus looked at him. And Peter's wondering, is this the last time the Lord will ever look at me? Am I done? Is it over? Am I out now? Has, is the Lord going to cut me out of this thing? He wants to be restored and renewed and thank God for the day of Pentecost. Can you say amen? And so the day of Pentecost will come. Peter gets it back together. The Lord visits him. And uh, he's got his, his hope back together. And I like what the, what the, uh, the Lord said to, to uh, Mary. Go and tell the disciples and tell Peter. I think at this point, Peter isn't even, doesn't feel like he's part of the disciples anymore. He just, he just has blown it. He's over. His, his walk is done. But go tell Peter. Go tell Peter, I'm coming back. And so the Lord uh, does include him back, and they are there at the day of Pentecost. But at the day of Pentecost, and we talked about this last week, and, and I want to talk a little more about Pentecost, but Simon Peter is renewed. He's a birth. He is reborn. He is reestablished. He has come through that birthing that Jesus told him about. And when that happens, you will strengthen the brethren. And so Peter now is, he's come into a walk in the Lord. And may I say this again, he doesn't come into a different walk, but he comes into the same walk under the rebirthing power in his life, he is still the servant, and Jesus is the rabbi. 
Now we get to the fourth chapter of Acts, and I thought we don't want to leave Peter there because of his failures and, and all that he's been through. But the fourth chapter of Acts and the 13th verse, thank the Lord, sometimes he gives us a second chance. Can you say amen? And uh, there's been times that I've come into trials and failed that trial. Wish I had treated it differently. I wish I had gone this other direction. I just let my my faith down. I didn't complete. Have completed. I know that you've all been there, and I have too. But thank the Lord. Sometimes He gives us a second go, a second rego. And so uh, Peter gets a chance in Acts the fourth chapter after Pentecost, after his birthing into the kingdom, after being part of what God is establishing in the church. And so Peter gets a second chance, and they arrest Peter this time. Last time they had Jesus arrested. Now they arrest Peter and John, and they are on trial. They're on trial for what? For speaking the name of Jesus and teaching in the name of Jesus. The very thing that Peter was afraid of, the identification with Jesus Christ, now he has become the ringleader of the identification of Jesus Christ, and he is the ringleader of those disciples, those following, those people that have attached themselves and are following Jesus Christ. And they say to him, he was afraid of being arrested, right? But now he is arrested, and they say to him, and the Bible says they threatened him. How you like to be threatened? I don't take it too good. I've been threatened a few times, and, and I just don't like the taste of it. But we're going to get you. We're going to bring you down. In fact, I believe they're threatening his life. If you carry on with this, we're going to take you out. And they did to some of the disciples. But Peter, under threat now, under threat of his life, will stand there and say, well, should we obey God or should we obey man? And immediately he, he comes to the answer, we're going to obey what God has told us to do. And they go out of that place. They're preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel. And so do you know that Peter felt like that? He remembered what happened back there. And you know now he felt like we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, we failed before, but, but that was then, and this is now. We're conquerors in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. I was looking for a good word, an English equivalent, for the word of the following, the discipleship, the group, the team of Jesus. We know there's a rabbi. But the following, what is the following called? Um, I found the old Hebrew term. The old Hebrew term is, I'm going to try and say I'm not good with Hebrew, but shemush, chachamin. Anybody's got, anybody's Hebrew in here, they're laughing this morning. It simply means a deacon or a servant of a rabbi. Let me read you this quote. According to the Babylonian Talmud, a disciple would carry the rabbi's luggage, baggage, prepare his food to his liking, and provide him with money for his needs. That was the obligation 
of these disciples or followings or deacons, servants to their rabbi. And what's interesting, I got thinking about this, what's interesting about Rabbi Jesus is that he actually did all these things for his disciples. That he fed them. That Peter coming up to him and saying, Lord, we don't have any money to pay the tax. And Jesus says, go catch a fish and you'll find in his mouth the golden coin. The Lord provided each one of their needs. But I think these disciples also, at the same time, I can remember them coming to him at the well where the woman was. They went to town to get food, and Jesus is ministering to this woman at the well. And then they come back, and they say, they've prepared it, they've got it. They say, Master, eat. And so they also are taking on, they're trying to protect him. Remember, they're protecting him. What's Peter? Uh, the night he is arrested, uh, uh, Peter takes out a sword, and he's going to protect Jesus. So they were trying to be these disciples and, and trying to be the follower, deacon, servants of Jesus Christ, the rabbi. And they understand who they were and, and how it all came down. And, and so Jesus being, he said, I didn't come to be served anyway. I came to serve. And so it was kind of almost a... Uh, a, a thing where he supplied for them and they also tried to supply for him. But I'm so glad Paul said it this way, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. There's not too much I can do for him. I can bring him a praise. I can bring him a thank you offering. But my God has to supply my needs. My rabbi is the supplier of all my needs. I'm not the supplier of his needs. Can you say amen? And so thinking about this term of, 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 of who we are in relationship to the rabbi, David saw something along this line. And looking down through the prophetic time tunnel, he said these words, 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. Interesting. Why would he use this allegory saying the Lord is his shepherd? Maybe it's because David was a shepherd, right? David knew what sheep were about. He knew, you know, about taking care of them. He knew all the ins and outs of being a shepherd from the time he was a young lad until the time he became king, he was a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Of course, if you go back to the Old Testament, replace the word Lord there with Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, was Yahweh really a shepherd? Or is this just an allegory? It's something like, it's compared to, but it's not the real. God is not a shepherd. In other words, he doesn't have sheep. He has people. The people of God are compared to sheep in the Old Testament and New Testament. But I think this allegory really has something else to do with something further on than where David's at. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. Everyone knows that's a beautiful, I love it. We quote it, we read it. It's just a beautiful, beautiful psalm that David came up with. But I think it's talking about something beyond. We've said this the last few Sundays and say it again. The Old Testament was not the real. 
The Old Testament was the pattern. It was the type. It was the figure. But it was not the real. I just heard a message the other day. Boy, you talk about getting people shouting. Talk about the Jews again and God restoring the kingdom to the Jews and and they're about to get bombed by the rest of the world ganging up against them here coming forward, you know, uh, right before the great coming of the Lord and, and they're about to get bombed and then before they can push the push the button to bomb Israel, God's going to step in and he's riding a white horse and a sword coming out of his mouth and I mean the people are going crazy. Israel is not the church of God. It can be made up of every nation and tribe. Certainly Hebrew people can be part of the church. But the nation of Israel is not the chosen people of God. I'm sorry to say that. I'm not going to shout about it. They're good people. God brought them up to a place of Christ. Jesus turned the corner and they didn't turn with him and they went on with what they were doing. And so, let me ask you this. Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. Was Jesus a shepherd? Okay, go home and look on your wall where you got the picture of Jesus holding the sheep. You know, Yes, he was a shepherd. And I went, I offended Kay right at first. We had just been married not very long. And we went to a certain church. And down in the basement, they had a, um, I think they had some kind of a dinner. It was a fellowship meeting. And I said, I said this jovially, and, and, you know, I did not really too upset anybody. But there was a picture of, quote, Jesus, long hair, halo, holding a, a sheep. I said, hey, who's the hippie with the goat? And, and it, it, it stunned her. I never heard anything like that before. Was Jesus a shepherd? No. He was a carpenter or a craftsman, an artisan. He was not a shepherd. But he said, I'm the good shepherd. And so when I look at what David said and what the Lord said, in type, uh, in metaphor, allegory, Jesus is a shepherd and the people are sheep. Peter called him the great shepherd. Remember that? When the great shepherd appears, Peter called him the great. Maybe that was because Jesus told him, feed my sheep. He didn't tell him, feed my people. He said, feed my sheep. Three times. That was the last instruction uh, for Peter. Feed my sheep. So, Peter thinks, well, if he's got sheep, then he must, he has to be the great shepherd, right? But I think a shepherd must have sheep in order to be a shepherd over them. A flock, a herd, a sheepfold. But I think the picture here is not about a shepherd and sheep. I think the picture here is about a rabbi and his disciples. What the Lord is really showing is the relationship that can be compared to a shepherd and his sheep can be compared to the rabbi and his disciples. Does everybody see that? 
Jesus said, my sheep, I lead them out, and I bring them back in. My sheep know my voice. They will not hear another. That's the exact relationship of the rabbi and his servants that are with him. They don't listen to other rabbis. They listen to him. He knows them by name. He can count them. He can call them in. He can call them out. He leads them. And so the Lord, is he a shepherd? Well, only in a sense of a metaphor, he is a shepherd. I believe he remains the rabbi, but this shows the picture. He leads us into green pastures. How does he do that? By his word. He leads us in green pastures. Can you say amen? I've been hungry many times. I've been thirsty many times. He leads me beside the still water. And then suddenly, out of his words that he's already spoken, something will come over me and that will feed me and that will quench that thirst that I had in my soul. And and he anoints my head with oil, David said. That's typical of the Spirit. His spirit he puts upon his church. He anoints his church with the oil of his spirit. David's seeing something that's not about sheep. It's not about a shepherd. It's about this rabbi and his followers. He restores my soul every day. God said this. The Lord himself said this. Pray. Pray every day for daily bread. Restore us, Lord. Refresh us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Feed us, Lord. That's what our rabbi is going to do. In type of a shepherd, he is that rabbi that takes care of his people. Can you say an amen to that? So I want to go back to Pentecost here for a few minutes. Jump back there. The Feast of Weeks. We talked about it with uh, Moses last week. God gave to him on the mountain. The Feast of Weeks, 50 days from the Sabbath of the Passover until the day 50th, seven weeks or Sabbaths. And then the filling, fulfilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the lives of the believers. All of those things that happen, many things, Old Testament and New Testament But let me just say a few. It meant that Jesus, by the fulfilling of Pentecost and baptism, it meant that Jesus, in fact, had ascended on high and had sat down in his place of prominence and had returned in his spirit, according to John, the 14th chapter, and the promise that he made to them there, I will not leave you, but I will come to you. Secondly, the kingdom was birth and is accessible to all the believers, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. We talked about it last week. And then third, Jesus' claim to build his church was being realized by the fulfilling of the day of Pentecost. The church begins to come into order. And so I want to read you the verse, Acts, the second chapter and the 39th verse. Some specialize in the 38th verse, but I want to specialize this morning in the 39th verse. So Acts, the second chapter, and the 39th verse. We can get that up there on the overhead so everybody will see it. I'm going to leave the 38th verse where it is right now. We don't need to deal with that. Pastor Ronnie dealt with that so beautifully here a few weeks ago. I won't even try and repeat it, but you need to go back and hear that. But let us talk about the 39th verse. The promise is to you. 
and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So the promise is to those that are there, to the next generation, and to the Gentiles. And we talked about the openness of how God opened the day of Pentecost and began to speak in all languages because he opened the kingdom to the Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God will will call to himself, will call to himself. So I want to break this down. The promise is that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. It's directly connected to the call. I talked about this last week, and and I don't know if you've ever really tried to expand on this at all, but I think the call is given by the Spirit of God just like the call was from Jesus to his hand-picked disciples. Remember we said that last week. He went out and called Peter, Andrew, John, James. He called all of these men to him. But I believe that the Spirit call to us is the same thing. Come and follow me. Come, put aside everything else and follow me. So I believe that the promise and the gift are connected to the call. Is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let me let me just tread here for a minute. Is the gift is it the third person of a trinity? Is that the gift? Come, I will give you the third person of the trinity. You only have number 1. Now you got number 2. And I'm going to give you number three. Is that the gift of God to us? There's a lot of people that just believe that. You don't know the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Holy Spirit. And if you know the Holy Spirit, you are part of His. Those that don't know the Spirit of God are none of His. So you can't get saved and then later get His Spirit. That doesn't work. You get saved in the Spirit at the same time. It's what happened in the upper room. It's what happens in every upper room. It's what happens in everyone that comes to Jesus. His Spirit is now calling them, and they receive something more than what they had. They had a life of sin. Now they have a life of following the rabbi Jesus and becoming part of his kingdom. Can you say amen? So the promise... And, and, and if you read it this way, the promise is unto you. The gift you will receive in verse 38, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you look at it that way, that the, the receiving of the Holy Ghost is the gift. But I prefer to look at it this way. The gift is of or from the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift from the Holy Spirit. I don't think the gift is the Holy Spirit. I believe the call is the gift of the Holy Spirit. You never get, and and, and, and it's going on in all Pentecost all over the world. 
is that you get the Spirit and now you're the one. Now you are the anointed. Now you are doing great things and have all these powers to do special things. And I, this morning, I want to bring that thought down because God is not giving you uh, unlimited power in your life. What He's doing is giving His gift to you, and the gift to you is the call. Come and follow me, and I will make you. That's the gift of God. So the promise is that the gift is there, and the gift is the call of God upon your life. The greatest gift that one could receive would be the call from Rabbi Yeshua to be in his following. Can you say amen? There were many that wanted it. They, one man came to him and said, Lord, I will follow you. And he told him, go back and, and bury your dead. And another said, I will follow you, but I've got these. He said, go take care of your business. He didn't select them, but thank God. He only selected 12, but thank God the Spirit of God is outpoured, and He is selecting all of those who will hear His voice, all of those who will receive His gift, all followers of Jesus Christ, let me guarantee you this morning that the gift of God is still alive, it's still available, He is still calling men and women and children to come and follow Him. So now I'm going to have to tie the church with this call. So let's look at the Greek word for that's translated into English church. We had a brother many years ago, I don't know if you remember this, the brother came, he was with us for a while, and and then uh, I asked him to speak, and what he spoke about, the only thing I really remember was he, he took the word church and said it's an old English word, kirch, that comes from something evil, I don't know what it was, but that's all semantics anyway, we, we go back to the Greek. And we may have translated the word ecclesia into meaning church. And I'm okay with that. Is everybody okay with that? I know what church is. This, this is not church, this building. This is Claremore Conference Center. Uh, but sitting in Claremore Conference Center this morning is church. All right. Amen. So we understand that. I'm not going to argue over the spelling of the word church. It's, it just has been a translation for us. The Greek word in the text is ecclesia. It's a compound word of two Greek parts. One of them is ek. The other one is kaleo. Kaleo means to call. Now, I'm going to tie all this up. I've put a lot of stuff on the ground, but I'm going to tie it up here in a minute, all right? Kaleo is to call. Ek simply means out of, sometimes out of, from, within, or from. So we have this compound. We bring these two words together, ek and kaleo. And it means to be called out of. And so we come up kind of with this term that the church is the called out, right? And we've been called out of what? We're called out of a life of sin. We're called out of... You know, just 
doing our own thing and going our own path in our own way. And God has called us. But if we just simply say we're just called out, then we kind of miss the emphasis on the call. Because the church is not just about church. It's about those who have been called. So I've been looking for a word for that group of people that he called disciples in his ministry. And I'm looking for a word. How can we frame that? Is it a team? We're kind of a team, you know, sort of. We're working together, you know, and I've heard the church compared to a football team, and, and we've got a quarterback, and I guess I'm the I'm holding the mic this morning. So I'm the quarterback, and then we got, you know, we got the running backs, and we got all that, and, and so, no, no, the church isn't like that kind of a team. Because I don't get to place people. The rabbi places everybody. And so I'm thinking, well, we're a group. We're a group of believers. Good. Let's call us all a group. Well, he already had a word in mind. He said, I will build me my ecclesia. So how does ecclesia work? You don't join ecclesia. Um, we don't have any cards, and if we did, I wouldn't hand them out this morning. How many wants to join Echoes of Calvary, and you can be a card-carrying member of Echoes of Calvary? God doesn't have any card-carrying members of His church. So you don't join. You get called. And you simply answer the call. Now, if you don't answer the call, you're not in. It's those who come out of a calling. And the calling is the gift of the Spirit of God reaching down to people calling them out of a desperate life of sin, debauchery, ruin, and destruction. And the call is done by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're never saved if you don't hear the gospel. You're never saved if you're not called by the name of Jesus Christ. Because without Him, there is no salvation. This is the only name given under heaven whereby you must be saved. And so by the Spirit of the God that we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ, who poured His Spirit out on the day of Pentecost, He is calling men and women to come and be part of his ecclesia. I thought about this last week. I said this. God wasn't working anywhere else but in the house of Jacob during the Old Testament. That was it. House of Jacob. We didn't have prophets from other countries and stuff. We didn't have that. Well, let me tell you something right here. God is not working outside of his church. He's got one purpose, one kingdom purpose, and that is to bring people into his fold, his flock, his following, his discipleship, and every bit of that is called the ecclesia of the Lord. Can you say amen? Does everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? It's still the rabbi and his following which is now called the ecclesia, or we call the church. 
So Rabbi Jesus didn't intend to change the structure of the new kingdom from his personal ministry model, which was the rabbi and his disciples, but rather to make an expansion of what he had already put into place with his 12 disciples. And Isaiah said it this way, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And so it's an outpouring that happened when God birthed this thing at that fulfilling of the day of Pentecost. And and now I want you to know this, and I'm going to come here where I've been trying to get. I'm with him. Everyone sitting in this building this morning, I love you, your brothers. But I am with him. The relationship that I have with my God is that I'm with him. I don't want to work on this a little bit because I love you guys. And we are, Jesus said, you're all brethren together. We don't have high brethren and low brethren. I have, like I said, I'm preaching this morning, but we don't have high, you know, high people and low people, and that's how we treat everybody, you know, the low ones. No, we are brethren together. We're in the kingdom. God sets places in the kingdom, but, but we are brethren. There's no one here more important than anybody else. Come on, say amen. We are like big people and little people. That's not how God works his thing. We're either in his ecclesia or we're not. And if we're in his ecclesia, that's as far as you can go. You're in. And you are with him. Now, E.V. Hill, how many knows who E.V. Hill is? He was a, a, a black Methodist preacher, I think. I don't remember, you know, they have all those names. Uh, the first baptismal of so-and-so-and-so Methodist church. Anyway. I heard him preach a thing and say a thing that just caught my heart. And I don't remember what it was about. I don't remember what he preached about. But he said this. He said he went on an embassage with Jesse Jackson. And now, I'm not propping either one of these guys up. So that's not what this is about. But. And Jesse Jackson was going to take a tour around the world, I think it was. And he was just being an ambassador. I don't know what ambassador for. I do not know. I still don't know what he's an ambassador for. But he asked E.V. Hill to go with him. So E.V. Hill was in the party of the people that went with Jesse Jackson. And every country that they would come to, and they would hit the security spots and, and different places where they checked out who they were and what, he said, this is what I did. I figured something out. I wasn't getting in there on my own. So I always told them, no, I'm with him. And when they knew that I when they understood that he was with Jesse Jackson, they led him into every place that Jesse went. And, and that thought really touched my heart because I want you to know something this morning. You're not doing this on your own. You're not getting anywhere but who you are. You're either with him and you're going where he's going or you're going where you're going. And so this morning, I, I just, 
I just feel this, this thing about a rest and a peace that needs to come over our hearts to realize I'm not fixing the world. I'm not saving the world. I'm not fixing people's lives. The best thing I can do is get people to be with Him. Because if you're with Him, He's going to do the work in your life. Can you say amen? And so I'm not here to try and, try and do great things that, that, that may astound people. Not at all. I'm just with Him. Listen to this. The criminal that died with Jesus alongside of Him, He had one promise. Today, you will be with me. This guy is the scum of the earth. He's done wrongs so horrible. The Romans just didn't crucify everybody. They whipped them, they punished them, they jailed them. But to the worst of the worst, they put them as a public example on a cross near the town so that people could come and go and see them dying there in agony and tell them, look, read over his head. This is why he's dying. This is why he's being crucified. This thief, criminal, murderer, whatever he is, he has no rights at all to think that he could ever inherit eternal life. No way. But he got a promise when he was dying. And there's been a little, I talked to Kay the other day about this, and I don't understand everything about it, but let me say this. He did not promise this thief, today I'm going to make you go to heaven. That's not what he promised him. He promised him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now let's talk about paradise a little bit. There are two divisions of death. Jesus talked about this in Sheol. There was the place of torment, and there was the place of paradise. There was the place of Abraham's bosom. Remember that? Jesus said a man was in, he died and went to Abraham's bosom, and another guy died, and the rich man went, and he was in torment in hell. And so these two divisions, you went one place or the other in the Old Testament time. You didn't go directly into heaven. There was no access to enter into the heavenly. You were kept in either paradise or you were kept in the place of torment, hell. So what Jesus says to this man is, you will be with me in paradise. I believe this. I can't. It says that the Lord descended into the lower parts of the earth, and there he preached to the captive. All of those that have died in the faith were captive in paradise. They were not in heaven. They were in paradise, Abraham's bosom. And Jesus went there and preached to them. And I want to tell you what I think he preached about. I am the one that you've been looking for. I am the one who has come and now I've given my life. I am the Christ. I am the Lord God. I have done the plan of salvation. And everyone then in paradise that believed on him would have eternal life with you and I who believe on Him. And when He left, He led captivity captive, right? Some came out of the graves, the Scripture said. The graves were busted up at the crucifixion of Christ and some were seen walking 
the city. Now, I don't know how all that works, but I do know this. The Lord went and preached to them, and when they accepted him as the one who, who was to come, the king of who is the king of glory, open the gates and let him in. The king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle, and here I am. What the thief got promised was you'll be with me in paradise. Can you imagine when they arrived there? Say, well, Leon, this is all just a spiritual kind of myth. No, no, this is reality. When you die, you don't stop living. Somebody say amen. You don't stop living when you die. You pass from this realm into another realm. This thief that died on the cross by Jesus woke up in paradise. Can you imagine his feeling? He's in the company of all the saints gone on. He's in the company of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's in the company of the prophets and Isaiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, Hosea, and all the prophets of God. He's in the company of David and don't you think that he is like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't fit here. I never followed after God. I never kept his commandments. I shouldn't even be in this place. He's, he's afraid to even show his face. But it suddenly comes to him that he's not there by himself. But he's got a promise that he heard. The last thing that he heard said to him was, you'll be with me. So what he can do like Jesse Jackson and E.V. Hill. No, no. I don't belong here myself I'm with him he's standing in paradise not because of his good works but because of him and I want you to know this morning that maybe you think your sins were too many. Maybe you think your sins are, are too weighty for you. Maybe you think you don't belong with the people of God. But I want to tell you something this morning. You didn't get here by your own work. You didn't save yourself. You didn't call yourself. God is the one who has called you. You're not here by your own works. You're here because of Him. And this morning... I'm with him. It doesn't matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter what's happened in my past. It doesn't matter about my weighty sins. I'm with Jesus this morning. I'm with the rabbi. So wherever he goes, I just got the passage to go with him. And he's keeping watch over me. Can you say amen? Oh, man, what a beautiful, beautiful thought. I'm with him. Listen, I'm going to tell you, sometimes the accuser of the brethren comes to you and say, you don't belong. What are you doing down there? You shouldn't be with the church people. Paul himself, the great apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, suffered under this persecution of the devil against him. He felt like his sins were too great. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. And it weighed on him even more. He said, I'm the least of the brethren. And finally, in desperation, he says, I am the chiefest of sinners. 
the accuser of the brethren had come to tell him, you're not in place. You should not be here. You have persecuted the church. You have killed the righteous. You don't belong here. But ultimately, Paul's answer is the same answer that you have this morning. I'm not here because of what I've done. I'm here because of what he's done in my life. I'm with him this morning. You may not like it, and you may not like me, and you may not like my personality, and you may not like my preaching, you may not like anything about me, but it doesn't matter. I'm with Him. And the world may look at us and say, you guys are crazy, and, and that old fuddy-duddy religion, and, and it's all just in your mind, and you can go on with that, and you can go on into hell and have a good time there. But I'm with Him this morning. I have placed my trust, my hope, my future, my eternity is based not on me. My eternity is based on that He has called me, He has bought me, He has washed me, He has restored me, He has taken me out of a life of sin he purchased me he cleaned me he put me in the church and I belong to him this morning and that's exciting can you say amen don't let the devil beat you out of a blessing of knowing that you belong to the rabbi this morning oh he's great he is worthy thank you Lord God was manifested in flesh called Emmanuel. The term Emmanuel means God with us. God with men. Oh, but that's all going to change. He's going to change the whole definition. He'll come down as God with men, Emmanuel. But he'll re- reset this thing in glory. And he'll make it men with God. Where you couldn't be. Where you were not accepted. Now we are accepted in the heaven in Christ Jesus. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And let me tell you this. When this life gets over, nothing changes. I just heard a few months ago some foolishness again about people preaching about heaven. Let me tell you something. There are no resources to preach about heaven. Jesus doesn't talk about it. And here's the reason why. That's not our goal. When I said, my goal is to get to heaven. No, that's not my goal. My goal is to please my rabbi. And with that comes an entrance into where he is. I get to be with him. Amen. Can you say amen? Brother Curtis took his last breath yesterday. I love that man. He meant a lot to this church, to this body. Think about some of the times that we had. Good times. Real good times. Sometimes when we were done singing, he wasn't. Did anybody ever wonder where that whistling came from? I would say, okay, who's whistling back there? You know, I'm on the platform. So who's whistling? Well, we got done singing the song. Curtis wasn't done. And he'd be whistling that song for a little bit, you know. Then I'd hear him. I'd get preaching. Good good pastor. Good pastor. <laughs> Every once in a while, good pastor. And he hit something really hard. He said, good pastor. And I miss that. I miss our brother. 
Well, I'm going to tell you something. I talked to him about his connection with the Lord just two weeks ago. And he reassured me that his life is in Christ. But I want you to know something. When he passed from here, nothing changed. He was a servant of the rabbi. Nothing changed. To be absent from the body is to be present with, with the Lord. He was with him here. And now he is with him in glory. He's still rabbi. He's still the Lord, but he changed dimensions. He's not here anymore, but he's with the Lord. I want you to know, ultimately, that's where every single one of us are going. We're not going to escape death. And unless the Lord ends this thing while we're still alive, I don't know that that'll happen. I don't, can't say that. But, but and then this body will taste death anyway. But, but let me tell you this. And finally, when it all comes down, 1 Thessalonians 4th chapter, and the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice and the trumpet. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And we that are alive and remain, we shall be caught up with him. And then the scripture says this. Thank God we're not coming back here. Then the scripture says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So it doesn't matter if right now you're in the church, you're with Him. You pass from this life and you step into the next life, you are with Him. If you're caught away, if you happen to be one of those that makes it until the catching away, like I said, I don't know when that might be, but whenever that is and the end, you will then be united with Him and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So, well, I'm not sure I like the disciple-servant relationship. You don't want to go to heaven. You want to go somewhere else. Because when we talk about heaven, I'm not talking about streets of gold and cities of pearl and gates. And you know, I'm talking about being where He is. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. I just want to be with my rabbi. You this morning, search your heart a little bit. You say this morning, I just, I know there's some things that are holding me back, some things are, I just can't seem to make that full commitment in my life. I encourage you to do that. I'm not going to bring you down here to pray this morning. You need to repent in your heart. You say, God, I need you to be full rabbi to me. I'll be the servant if you'll be the rabbi. And that's what God's calling. You're not calling great men. He's not calling influential people. He's calling those that will say, all right, Lord, you just be the rabbi. I'll, I'll just serve you with all of my heart and my life. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we just, we sent out a word this morning. It's a great word of hope and strength. We belong to you, Lord. We just ask you that every heart that heard this morning, that you would just touch, Lord. And may we all find that closeness of our Lord, our leader, our rabbi, that 
that sees us as his one of his chosen called people. Lord, we've just responded to a call. We have done nothing. We have earned nothing. We have merited nothing. But Lord, we thank you for that call. We hold it dear to our hearts. Lord, we want to be part of your church, your body, your disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.